0: sounds good. Here I go.
1: In life, our first job is this, to divide and distinguish things into two categories. Externals I cannot control, but the choices I make with regard to them, I do control. Where will I find good and bad? In me, in my choices. Those words was spoken and written by Epictetus, a Greek Stoic philosopher who lived between 55 and 135 AD. Today's guest is an inspiring example of the Greek philosopher's words. She's a woman who has achieved success and fulfillment by turning obstacles and adversity into opportunity. She's a naturopath and chiropractor, a recognized authority on natural pain solutions and regenerative regenerative injection therapies for musculoskeletal conditions. She's known for her ability to quickly diagnose and treat orthopedic ailments without invasive surgery. She's also a talented entrepreneur who teaches other health practitioners how to become better at what they do. Get ready to learn and have fun with Dr. Tina Moore. Tina, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and what a beautiful introduction.
1: I tell my guests who say that, that I may have written it down, but you're the one who created it.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I'm really honored to be here, so thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. Tina, where were you born?
0: I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Well, Florissant, Missouri. was just outside of St. Louis, so in the Midwest.
1: And when you were growing up, who would you say influenced you the most?
0: You know, I think my parents really did. They were really hardworking people. Uh, there was no lack of work ethic in my house. And so really just seeing that tenacity in both of my parents and then Honestly, a couple rock stars. I really had big, big, big vision. And I, I knew I always wanted to be a doctor, but I also really loved music. And I had like Debbie Harry from Blondie and some other female driven bands I thought were really, you know, inspiring, phenomenal women.
1: That's wonderful. So let, let me ask you, what kind of inspiration did you get from the rock stars?
0: Well, they were women and they were in a field where there weren't really any women doing what they were doing. They were, they were paving their own trail. And mm. that was super inspiring for me as a child. It was kind of this idea that, and my dad always taught me this too, that you can do anything you set your mind to. And so even though someone had not done it before, and especially as a woman, uh, I thought, you know, this is like, they were just awesome, tough, but beautiful, strong women. And Wonder Woman is another example. <laughs> just, I, I love these strong women in in real life and in stories, and so just that idea that you create your own destiny and you and you got to stay strong.
1: I love that. <laughs> uh, just for my storytellers, uh, I met Tina a few months ago at a wonderful marketing event in San Diego, and she is an accomplished uh, health professional, but she also looks like a rock star. So this explains <laughs> it. You do. <laughs> You,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I get called that a lot and I love that because I I really just, you know, medicine, I was a really sick little kid and I vowed as a very small child that I was going to do medicine and I was going to do it better than what was being done to me. I just knew there had to be a better way and so I kept searching for it. But I always loved that idea of showmanship and like having your own brand and really looking distinct and being distinct and staying strong and what you're morals and principles are and you know having integrity is not a part-time job so really just holding true to I have just kind of this I grew up listening to a lot of alternative music and punk rock music and, and music that just wasn't terribly popular and maybe a little too loud and a little too brass for most people but I try to keep that as part of my being because that's what you know the girl that I was when I was seventeen is not that different from who I am today. I'm just more accomplished at this point, but I still have the same fire, you know, so I try to keep that going.
1: well, you know uh just having met you briefly, you certainly communicate that in your in your presence. It's wonderful, thank you
0: thank you.
1: Now did you have a childhood dream of what or who you wanted to be when you grew up?
0: I wanted to be a doctor always. I I just really wanted to do medicine and I wanted to do it better and I wanted to find answers. Um, I wanted to, I had a lot of unanswered issues as a child and they eventually got figured out. I figured a lot of them out myself through learning, but I didn't, I don't love seeing people suffer and it, it hurts my heart to see people sick when they don't need to be. And, and, and a lot of it's truth telling. I think that, you know, our food supply has been so tweaked and our, dependency on pharmaceutical drugs and just the way allopathic medicine has been led into this like surgery and pills first model I just I am inherently rebellious always and I'm insubordinate and I don't love that people are being fed this nonsense and they're eating it up there is a better way through you know quality lifestyle and longevity you know you're a healthy older individual and that's testament to how you've chosen to live your life it comes down to the foods you eat and the way you live and the way you move your body and all of the things that we do every day. Um, and so that, from a very young age, I, I figured that out and started that search and just really wanted to tell people the truth.
1: That's Although wonderful. they don't,
0: they don't always want to hear it.
1: <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, most of us uh, at some point don't like to listen to all of the truth but you know as you just think, uh, told me those things I realized that this is another reason why I like this woman because uh, I don't know if you know you don't know this about me but uh, I have always been rebellious I've always been um I've had a a thing which I still do I rebel against authority all the time <laughs> I yes. certainly did as a teenager and I have a tendency to do it today <laughs> So I was going to ask you what attracted you to the healing arts, but you've already uh, explained that. But why did you choose chiropractic?
0: Well, I was a patient of chiropractic really young. Uh, that was I. I was really really sick, and my mom would always haul me around to different specialists. And it was the chiropractors that were in my that were taking care of me. They were the ones that would actually answer my questions. Even as a young child, I would ask. I was a little science nerd, and I'd ask really hard questions, and most doctors would blow me off thinking I didn't under, wouldn't understand the answer. And they would look me straight in the eye, the chiropractic doctors I had, and they would answer me just like they would an adult. And I found that to be really compelling. And they were always able to help me through either herbs or nutrition or an adjustment or something. It was always something natural and it always always pulled me out of my tailspin. And then I discovered naturopathic medicine when I got out of college. I went to work for a really famous naturopathic doctor here in Portland, Oregon. And I had no idea what that was gonna open the doors to. Like that just opened a whole new world of healing to me. And I just thought, well, this is amazing. And so I kind of set out to do both of them. Didn't it was ambitious.
1: <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Didn't that doctor become a mentor of
0: yours? Yeah, he was. He I spent nearly twenty years with him and he passed away in twenty thirteen of cancer and I took over his practice. So a lot of the rebellion that People still see, in a lot of the um, my push and my ambition. It's not just about me; it's about his story too, because he left me his legacy.
1: What's his so, name? What was his name?
0: Oh, I'm gonna tear up. <laughs> uh, Rick Marinelli. His name was Rick Marinelli, and he was awesome. He was he was a total powerhouse, and he had absolute disdain for authority as well. And so he always did things his way. And he he was a very talented healer. He was he was like a Jedi. He was also an acupuncturist. I mean, this guy was a, a powerhouse. And so he, I just, it was the first time I'd met somebody that was doing what they wanted on their terms and was succeeding in a way that I'd never seen before. And I thought, well, you know, like I get these crazy thoughts in my head and I think, well, why can't I? And you get all these people telling you you can't, but they're just telling you you can't because they haven't seen it done before or they think it's a harebrained idea. But who's to say you can't, you know? And I, I kept seeing him do the things he would he would proclaim he was going to do something and then he would go do it and i was like this is phenomenal i gotta be i gotta hang out with this guy so
1: mm. i
0: spent a long time with him
1: that's wonderful i mean what yeah. you're describing that's the mindset of anthony robbins that's the mindset of a steve jobs uh, if you tell if you told jobs it's impossible uh, you know his adrenaline would start to, to <laughs> pump into his system. He'd go, Oh, great. Bring it on. You know, yeah,
0: that's my favorite. When someone tells me I can't do something, I immediately, immediately will do it. And I'm like, Oh, watch me. That's the insubordinance. I'm like, just watch me. Watch me do it. Just Ooh. thank you for the challenge.
1: Beautiful. Now, was there a pivotal event or experience that you could say when you look back, really informed your career choice?
0: Well, you know, I have to say so i've I've shifted gears from physicianing as much to more coaching and mentoring and training other doctors. And that I think happened right around the time that he died. He died from cancer. It was a really slow, terrible thing to see over several years. And I sort of hit a wall. I just wanted to quit. I didn't want to do medicine anymore. I didn't want to do any of this. And um, there's a tenant in naturopathic medicine. The term is docere and that's, you know, that, it's doctor, is teacher. And before he died, he, I saw him like two days before he died and he squeezed my hand and he said, uh, I'm going to tear up again. I'm sorry. He said, don't forget docere. And so I took that literally and I immediately started teaching. He always used to say, see one, do one, teach one. And so I immediately started teaching the regenerative injection therapies that I do in my practice to other doctors. And then I realized that I had built over the last many years, you know, a very successful cash-based practice and that very few doctors had that and most doctors wanted that. And they weren't sure how I was doing it. And instead of keeping it coveted, I decided I was going to teach it. And so I opened up a mastermind and I'm now coaching other female practitioners. I think women doctors have a very distinct experience that's very different from men. Um, and so I focused there, but that was kind of a big pivotal shift for me was really taking that concept of Docere, and that's the name of my mastermind, is Docere Mastermind, and just turning it and realizing I think my place is probably better served in the world teaching doctors to be better doctors than just seeing patients one-on-one. I can do more by impacting more doctors' lives because that will impact millions of people and patients versus me just in the clinic you know, and I haven't totally shut down my practice, but I've really pulled away from it for that reason.
1: Can you spell uh, that word? Is it, is it docere, you said?
0: Yeah, it's D-O-C-E-R-E. And yeah. we have, in naturopathic medicine, we have several tenets. You know, first, you know, harm, obviously, is like kind of a universal idea, but really t- harnessing the universal power of nature. Doctor is teacher. You know different concepts that we have and that one really stands out because we're supposed to teach our patients to live a healthier and better life and we're also also supposed to teach other doctors if we have something that's distinct and unique i i really think we owe it as physicians to pass that forward
1: i agree and i would say not only as physicians but as human beings when because we yes. all we all really do have something unique many people won't believe it or they'll ignore it cuz it's scary but when you recognize it live into it and share it it's like you know my my image if you refuse to do it it's like a flower that's
0: refusing to bloom yes absolutely you know and then it just dies and shrivels up it just which dies. I don't, yeah i don't want <laughs> i don't see
1: that happening to you too soon no 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 <laughs> So I think you've kind of answered this other question, which was what lit your fire about entrepreneurship. But yeah, you did answer it because you were propelled in that direction uh, by the death of your mentor. And then um, the rest is history. Now, as you were moving away from practicing medicine to being an entrepreneur who teaches medicine, who coaches... Did you run up against any personal or external obstacles or both?
0: So many. Uh, Just even going back to being a physician, the way I practice, the technique, the regenerative injection therapies I do, there was hardly any women doing that when I started in this. There were a few, but there weren't a lot of young women doing it. And it was the world I live in of regenerative orthopedic medicine is really an old boys club. And chiropractics as well. And so I've always felt like I've had to pave my own trail and I've butted up against a lot of resistance. My own mentor, Dr. Marinelli, I remember him telling me one time when I had an idea about something I wanted to do, he's like, you can't do that. And I said, well, why not? Just because no one else has done it. Like it's not going to hurt anyone. It's not illegal. And it, there's nothing in the board, the board rules that says I can't, you know, and I also realized early on there were just not a lot of women I didn't have a lot of female mentorship there was not other women out there doing what it is that I wanted to achieve I did not have any roadmap I had a few male mentors who were doing versions of what I sought to do but there were no women doing it not not the version I had and so you know kind of like going back to these female rock stars that were just paving their own path I just thought well I'm going to pave the way and once I figure it out I'm going to bring these women with me I'm going to make the path and then I'm going to show them the path and they can jump on if they want but it's it's constant and i the, i think the most the most crap i get is usually from other male doctors i, I get these backhanded compliments so frequently uh, and i don't understand it entirely except that maybe it's like threatening their ego or something but there's just this it's it's constant and i've just learned to accept it and let it roll off but the things that get said to me would not get said to me if I were a a male practitioner doing what I'm doing. Mm. And so I see that often and I just have to, you know, let it go.
1: You know, you just reminded me of something. I I know another woman who was, uh, um, she was a colorectal surgeon. And when I spoke to her, she told me a chilling story about, When she was, she was in a school, I think she was the only female medical student, and when she was about to graduate, the man at the ceremonies actually thought that she was someone who was only there as a reporter.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, he he
1: made that faux pas. When he went over to her to talk to her, it became obvious he didn't recognize that, no, she was graduating to be a doctor is
0: amazing? Oh it's, oh, it's so common. I can't tell you how many orthopedic conferences I went to early on when I was younger. And they would ask me if I was somebody's wife or somebody's nurse wow. or somebody's physician assistant. And when I told them, no, I was a doctor and I was actually doing these therapies. They were like, oh, are you in a group's practice? No, I'm in my own practice. Oh, what, what insurances are you contracted with? I'm like, I don't take insurance. And it, it, they literally couldn't believe that a young female was thriving in a cash-based practice because this is the practice they all want. But many are too afraid to get out of the insurance system because the money is so consistent. And so uh, I I was doing what they didn't believe possible. And I could just see sometimes the look in their eye like, what? You're not someone's nur- or nurse or wife? I'm like, no, thanks anyway. <laughs> just moving on. You wow, know? wow, that's it, amazing. It's just, I get less of it as I age, but it's really... I had it happen the other day. I was actually going to be on television. Uh, I was in Detroit and a doctor came, a a very well-established doctor came in the room and he, I introduced myself as Dr. Tina Moore and he's like, and I'm in a dress with makeup on, like looking very, you know, ready to go on television. And he was like, doctor, really? And it's just, uh, it's just like, yeah, dude, really? (laughs) It's okay. You, you
1: You know, it's amazing that, that a person who's in, um, a, a position like that would be, would make that mistake and and just transparently communicate it.
0: Yeah, and, you're not allowed to be pretty and smart and skillful. Like you don't get to be all those things all the time in this world. And so it's it's very interesting navigating this as a woman because I just have to like sometimes my uh, you know and women entrepreneurs often will be instead of being called ambitious and assertive, they're called bitchy and aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I have to be, and I'm sorry to use foul language on your show, but like that's, that's kind of the, the way it is for us. And that's, and for a lot of females in a position of power or trying to exert their power, uh, sometimes we have to push a little harder and it, it, it gets a little jagged sometimes, but i as I age, I'm okay with that. I try to do, come always with love in my heart and kindness and, um, ultimately i'm trying to serve I'm, I'm trying to serve humanity and i'm trying to serve people and help be helpful and be of service uh but sometimes i gotta be a little a little jagged <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs>
1: that's okay I, I know what i found funny is that you just said i'm sorry for using any foul foul language uh, are you kidding me bitchy that's <laughs> well no I'm, and i mean this is definitely not the mr rogers show you know um <laughs> uh, but no, that's not a foul word.
0: I just want to make sure I don't offend anyone no, in your audience. Sometimes no. sometimes people don't like that.
1: It's okay if they don't, then they should tune into a different podcast. Now, um what about personal obstacles within yourself because I'm asking this because what well, you know the whole game of our own um inner demons that undermine us when we strike out in another direction? the Mm -hmm. mind chatter, etc. Did you experience any of that when you were going into this new venture?
0: Oh, constantly. I've had it always. Uh, It's a a lot of imposter syndrome creeps up, you know, who am I to do this? And then I have to remind myself, who am I not to do this? Because like you said, we owe it to the world to express our unique gifts and talents and share that. And I so I have to constantly battle that. Of course, there's always going to be somebody who's better at whatever it is than I am. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a unique gift to bring and that it's not a value. It absolutely is a value and it has a monetary value as well. Um, and overwhelm, I think, is super common. I, I take on too much and then I feel like maybe I'm not doing any of it great. And so I have to really just sort of step back and pause and take each piece as it comes. Getting in my own way is a huge one. I really tend to just, and we all do, right? We just get in our own way. And we, that's, it takes a little bit of an ego to overcome that. Uh, and, and a part of that is, conditioning from my parents my very blue-collared hard-working parents who really taught me that if you know if you're not there doing the work you shouldn't be making the money like this concept of having external sources of revenue coming in if I'm not physically there treating a patient like my dad cannot wrap his head around that he does not understand what I'm doing actually at all he's like what do you do online what are you doing you know with your coaching and that I have to let that go and realize that what I bring to the table is a value and I can put a price tag on that because that is a value to somebody else and I can help other people level up and that that part of it it's hard as a woman because we are always helpers as women inherently we want to help just help 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 make the situation better and as naturopathic doctors we're very inclined to want to give ourselves away for free because we want to serve humanity medically so badly all of us do it's kind of a beautiful fault of my profession. So that part gets hard, <clears throat> really proclaiming like this is where I am and this is the value that I bring and then following through with that is that's tough for me sometimes.
1: Mm. Yeah, but I, I know you're doing a great job with it and I know you're not about to stop. What What beliefs and ideas can help medical the medical world step into the 21st century and beyond? Because I find that many very smart doctors are really in another you know they're in the past when it comes to medicine
0: they are there there is you know we're, we're losing the old guard which has a tremendous is a tremendous loss because they have so much knowledge but there's also a lot of dogma and a lot of old beliefs in medicine that need to die and the body inherently wants to heal itself and it's funny because Medical doctors of, of yore long ago were very much like pr- practicing naturopathic doctors today. It's the clinical application of common sense. And so instead of drugging or, you know, the body into illness or cutting things out of it, really giving the body an opportunity to heal itself, giving it what it needs, nourishing it, sleeping it, exercising it. These are really simple concepts that don't seem so sexy. People have been very conditioned to want a pill. They want to go home from the doctor's office with a pill or a solution or an exact answer and that's just not how medicine works medicine is a big gray area and our job is to find the root cause of what is driving the symptoms in the patient and then address that root cause you don't have an inhaler uh, you know you're not deficient in needing an inhaler if you have asthma something is driving your immune system so that your lungs are clamping down on themselves that is what we need to be looking at. And I see a lot of doctors coming. I say they're coming to the dark side and really they're coming to the light. They're coming over to functional medicine and they're really starting to see like, wait a minute, the way I've been practicing, it doesn't work. This is not gonna, you cannot force the body into submission with pills and drugs and injections. Mm, you, no. it, it, it just leads to more of a mess. And so I think going back to the old way is what needs to happen. We actually need to quit being so, caught up in what's the new and the now and the sexy and really going back to the basics and looking at like how did our, how did these doctors that are practicing today, how did their grandparents practice if they, if they came from a family of medicine? Because that's where I hear the best stories. Like my grandpa used to be a doctor and he never did surgery and he used herbs and he did this. And it's like, yep, your, your grandpa knew what was up. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I think just going back to basics and back to the old way, whilst u- utilizing you know modern technology as needed, but man we're we're making a mess of things, and people are just getting sicker and slower and more obese so clearly, and we are one of the wor- we have one of the worst track records in medicine in this country in the world i mean in the u s the death rates of new babies being born and of people in general is pretty darn high, so for being the fanciest, yeah. we're certainly not doing the best
1: well, you know uh, I, I I love what you're saying because essentially. If I'm hearing you correctly, it's about acknowledging that we need to look for the source, the origins of sickness and not treat symptoms only. But in regards to the United States and even Canada to a great extent, uh, I think that it's one of the ironic, um, one of the ironic things that are, is attached to a, a great abundance that we don't know how to deal with the abundance like just with with foods we have so many choices that people stop thinking about which ones are really beneficial for them so they can eat it all so they do and then they get sick
0: yes i know it's like it's like a food trough i heard a doctor once say that america is like a food trough he was a canadian doctor (laughs) so i thought you'd appreciate that um it's you know we just have we have constant low quality what basically people are overfed and malnourished right and
1: yeah
0: and it's it is that you're right that word abundance people don't even and i'm learning we're all learning to accept abundance in our life in a way that's uh nourishing to us spiritually and nourishing to us financially and really just accepting like money flows easily to me and my health flows easily to me and just having that mantra and understanding that versus this like this uh very kind of people get stuck into this there's not enough and it's sparse and so the and they take it out on their food it's like food is there so we might as well gobble it all up don't let it go bad don't let anyone else eat it all you know and it's it's getting
1: us into a mess. Well, it's also a drug. I mean, it's it's because um, I think a lot of the excessive bad eating is uh, it's an escape mechanism. It's a way of just uh, I feel frustrated in life, I'm scared, whatever, but I can get pleasure immediately by eating, you know, um, a gallon of ice cream.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. So. Right. Now, talking about technology, how do you feel digital technology is impacting and enhancing medical knowledge and practice today?
0: Well, um, I mean, digital technology is really, it's interesting because doctors, medical students are often no longer even working on cadavers in first year of medical school. They're using technology to visualize these structures and they're lear- They're using technology to learn physical exam skills instead of learning them on actual humans. So I'm not a huge fan of that. I think that's super creepy and it's a bad, bad way to be going. Um, I also think that digital technology is allowing people to have virtual consults with, without ever being seen or touched and they're getting diagnosis, they're based on their lab work and the questions that they answer and then they're being handed prescriptions. I think that's a slippery slope. I think that's going to lead to, we're already over medicated as a country. It's just going to lead to more over medication because, again, people are conditioned to want a pill. Um, I have to get my hands on a person. Like me, see, energetically, just me seeing them and touching them gives me everything. I can see them on the street. I can look at them and be like, oh, that person has autoimmune disease or that person, you know, whatever. I can see it and I can see it in their skin. I can feel it in their skin. And these are, skills were' really losing so that part bums me out but I do think that having technology on hand has led to a deeper understanding for people the information that we had in naturopathic medicine was coveted and now suddenly it's all over the internet I mean you really can learn how to eat and live and move and do all the things just because of the brilliance of the internet and I'm able to reach millions of people as I you know build my I, I do a lot of direct-to-public Uh, offerings as well, courses, and I've got a book that I've written, and I'm hoping to reach, you know, a million to several million people, and that's only possible through digital technology and through the internet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of a two-edged sword. What about
1: any, are there any uh, modalities in medicine that have developed because of digital technology that you find are positive, that uh, there are medical applications that were impossible before now, they're kind of almost science fiction-like?
0: Yeah, well, there's there's image, special imaging modalities that have really, really, really gotten advanced, which I think are super cool, so you can see things inside of people instead of having to cut in the, into them to see. Um, there's all kinds of different camera options. You know, back in the day, th- there's tiny little cameras that you can inject into someone's knee and do an arthroscopic exam with just a tiny little hole, whereas. You know, more traditionally, it's this big, huge camera that's very invasive. But even the idea of being able to put a camera inside of somebody and then have these little robotic arms that reach out and do the clipping and do the little microsurgery, that kind of stuff is mind-blowing to me. And then the lab applications, we're able to analyze people's genetic codes. And I mean, it's just phenomenal how far it's come that we can look at somebody and say, you've got a propensity for these diseases based on your genetic profile, blah, blah, blah. Here's here's a genetic profile that says that these you know these nutrients wouldn't be good for you or that you won't tolerate these drugs very well. It's so cool what we can do as far as those advancements go.
1: I totally agree. You you don't know this, but one of the reasons I was in San Diego besides Mike's course, I went to a place called Human Longevity Inc and I had my entire bio-genome sequenced. Oh cool. Oh yeah. And I just got a very, very detailed report, which was uh, fascinating, very positive report. But it was crystal balling, basically being able to look inside and talk about everything uh, that relates to me genetically. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating fascinating stuff. And when you talk about the orthoscopic in the knee, I had that. I had... um, a torn meniscus, and they did an orthoscopic surgery within about thirty minutes and when I woke up didn't even realize that they had already done the surgery. I mean it was like you know what with a wow. cam- with a camera and a little snip snip robot there, right?
0: yeah, it's crazy. It's wow. amazing what I've seen and you know, and then on that note though, two things going back to basics, you know we have a saying in in medicine that you know, your genes load the gun, but your lifestyle pulls the trigger. So even though we can do these amazing genomic sequencing on people, that doesn't mean that's your fate, right? It just means it's a matter of how you live your life, whether those genes are going to turn on or off. Mm. So that's really exciting. I mean, that comes down to your food intake and your, you know, everybody thinks it's so fancy and they want all these fancy supplements, but it's like, you know, how you live and eat and sleep and endure stress and all that has a huge impact. And then as far as your knee goes. Something that, so what I specialize in is injecting people's blood or their own stem cells back into their joints to regenerate them. And like, what a simple concept, right? Take the cells out of the person, concentrate them down and shoot them back into these compromised tissues. And often the meniscus will heal or the, you know, cartilage will heal or whatnot. And so it's like, as we get fancier, we, you know, we, lest we not forget the roots and the basic stuff too, because the basic stuff is getting more play because the fancier testing options are, are happening. Does that make sense? Like the more mm-hmm. we realize that because of fancy technology, the more we realize like we've got to go back to basics.
1: Mm-hmm. And with this regenerative uh, injection work that you do, what kinds of conditions do you successfully treat?
0: So I specialize in orthopedic conditions and so anybody who has it really varies if the person's healthy whether the condition's chronic or acute meaning they've had it for a long time or it's brand new they usually get really excellent outcomes if the person's not healthy and they don't have a good ability to ignite a healing cascade the treatments don't work that well so i'm really picky about who i've actually just recently closed my practice to new patients but i've been very picky about who i'll see Because of that reason, I wanna make sure they're a good healer, meaning they heal well. Like if they say they were to get a cut or to get an injury, do they heal up well? Those people tend to respond well to these treatments because it's only as good as their ability to respond and it's only as good as their own cells. And that's really important. People who have a lot of inflammation or diabetes or a lot of obesity, their stem cells and their platelets tend to not be very helpful and in fact can be quite inflammatory and maybe make things worse. So we wanna make sure that patient selection is huge. Um, but really any orthopedic condition that is obviously not a frank surgical issue, but a lot of surgeries and orthopedics are fairly unnecessary or not that successful. Um, ACL injuries, for instance, studies are showing that doing a sham surgery on somebody versus an actual surgery or just simply putting the person through rehab works just as well in the long run as actually having the ACL surgery, and so... We're finding out in orthopedic medicine that going in there and cutting things apart is not always the best idea because the joint system is, it's an organ system. We don't look at it. We look at it as this biomechanical thing, but really it's just like any other organ system in our body. And I think a lot of arthritis is actually kind of a diabetes of the joint, so to speak. And so Mm. cutting these joints apart is not always the answer. And that's where these regenerative injections come in because really just igniting the body to heal itself gets most things going in the right direction and people get really excellent results if, they're, if it's good patient selection.
1: Now, you, you practice in Portland, Oregon? Yes. Mm.
0: Yep.
1: Sounds fascinating. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd have to travel right across the country, well, more than just the country, into another country to come there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, is there a spiritual component to the work you do?
0: Oh, you know, I think about that a lot. I feel really called. I've always felt really called to do this work. I felt really, really called as a child to be a healer. I've always been a healer. I have a, I definitely have a clairvoyance about me. I don't know exactly how to say it, but I can put my hands on people and have a pretty good idea of what's wrong with them. And often I can just see them and have an idea. And I, and my office staff always teases. They're like, if we had a dollar for every time you called out which lab, what the lab values were going to come back as, because I can just look at someone and be like this is what your labs are going to (laughs) say so i feel like there's something calling me to this and um and i in pain in particular dealing with pain has been really challenging for me it's it's actually pretty draining and that's part of the reason i'm moving away from practice so much but i feel i have felt very compelled to help people with their pain and help them get out of pain and i it's bigger than me so in that sense yes um I try to meditate. I try to really be very thoughtful about the work that I do. I'm not specifically like following any religion, although I don't poo poo it and I, I totally get it. So yeah, you know, and I, I have a, a lot of belief in intent. So I I some people call it placebo. I call it intent. I feel like I'm just a cheerleader for patients. I try to get their intentions straight
1: mm-hmm. and that
0: tends to get them in the right direction of healing. So. That's about as spiritual
1: as I get. No, that's powerful. That's powerful stuff. And I'm actually very relieved for you that you live in the 21st century because combining your ability to be slightly clairvoyant with the fact that you look like a rock star, in another century they would have burned you at the stake.
0: Oh yes, I've heard that before. <laughs> I, I used to joke about that. I'm like, yeah, I would have been burned at the stake in a different world and a different time. <laughs> sure. no. I, no, I had a patient. She's in her 70s, and she uh, grew up in a a house with a doctor, a female doctor. She she is a healer, and her you know mentorship was a healer and. She looked at me one day, I was doing something and I like changed my mind really quick. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm going to do this. And I did something else to her knee and the pain went away. And she's like, are you sure you're not a witch? And I said, I don't know. I'm not terribly sure. <laughs> I know there's something going on that's bigger than me. So,
1: I'm a good witch. That's yeah, I'm it. i a good witch. Yeah. So what do you say to people who are close minded about chiropractic work, acupuncture and natural medicine in general?
0: Honestly, I just say good luck. because there's this isn't like it's a religion or a dogma it's not like i believe some woo woo thing there is we have proven i mean we have so much proof about energetics and i'm not even an energetic healer i don't pretend to be but even on that level if people want to say well that's woo woo that's quackery it's like okay well if you take and if you take two electrons that are bonded or i forget what the study was they split them up and they put them in entirely different settings in entirely different parts of the country And when one electron behaved a certain way, its counterpart did the same thing in whatever isolated situation it was in. Like there is something going on here. And besides that, I just tell them, like it's the clinical application of common sense. Me telling a patient to improve their diet, improve their sleep, exercise more, drink more water. It sounds very boring. It's not very sexy, but that's often what needs to be done. And that's, you know, putting a, putting a, doing a myofascial work or affecting somebody's, musculoskeletal system with your hands, uh, there's a lot of science to back up everything we're doing. It's not woo-woo. It's just that people don't want to look at it. And so, and in fact, most medicine, most medications are pushed through the FDA and pushed through being able to go out to market with very little evidence behind them. So it's not like what I'm doing is any worse or any weirder than what allopathic medicine is doing it's just people have a dogma in their head that they 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 were raised up in a paradigm and if they don't want to believe that the body can inherently heal itself well then you know and they don't want to eat vegetables and good luck (laughs) well i just would like to see how this goes for them 30 or 40 years down the line
1: i i know i agree and what amazes me is that what you're describing to me i mean it just seems like obvious almost common sense I mean, it's not rocket science to look at the body and recognize that, hello, the pieces of that body are connected to each other. So, you know, uh, I've always intuitively believed in acupuncture and I've had it and it's had a great effect on me. And I don't think it's woo-woo. You know, I think if a person wants to put this to a simple test, when you said the word energetics, if you lie in bed at night, All you need to do is have, think a thought that scares you or makes you um, tense, and then register how you might feel that in some other part, in some part of your body. Like you'll have the thought in your head, so to speak, and then you might feel it in your feet and in your stomach, and the muscles will tense. Well, that, how is that happening? It's a current of energy. Yep. You know? Uh, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I've had very good results with chiropractic as well. Um, well, yeah, it is a mindset that's very, very narrow and it's an, it's an old paradigm that, um, I think will be forced to eventually disappear.
0: I think Um, so too, because when we, when medicine, it's a long story, but medicine did a major shift in the thirties and forties and alternative medicine was a, Try, they tried to squash it and kill it with the Flexner report. It was this big thing. Uh, I think Rockefeller was the one who ignited the whole thing. But we've just gotten sicker, right? we just, as a continent, but especially in the United States, we've just gotten sicker, more obese. And t- there's so much chronic degenerative illness coming down the chute with the baby boomers. People have no idea. Like the amount of hip and knee replacements necessary coming is astronomical. And we're not doing much better on the birth end. We've got autism rates skyrocketing. We've got, you know, it's just like clearly something is wrong. (laughs) So going, it's not, I actually, as a licensed naturopathic physician in Oregon, um, I am licensed to, I'm board certified and I am licensed to prescribe almost every pharmaceutical available besides cancer drugs and barbiturates. We're taught, we're taught uh, minor surgery. In fact, I used to teach minor surgery as a, as a professor in the schools, um, you know, we, we have a, I, I put needles into people. I'm very well trained in orthopedic medicine as a chiropractor. This isn't like I'm making stuff up and waving crystals. And even if I was, there's probably some validity in that too, but you know what I mean? It's like, this isn't, it's becoming more mainstream, I think, because people are realizing we're not just out here, you know, burning sage and chanting. We're actually doing real medicine. It's just not mm. the standard model.
1: Mm-hmm. Tina, what do you do for fun?
0: Oh, well, I'm learning to balance my life and I'm learning to rest. So i the last year or so, I've fallen in love with the most wonderful man. And he is so awesome. And he he's a musician and he, his life is very different than mine. So he's really taught me to just step away from all the chronic work and Travel and eat good food and I'm spending uh, I lost two of my dogs last year that were very elderly and it was so sad And so I've got one little lady left. She's a little old dog And so I'm trying to spend as much time with her so really just like being in the moment and slowing down and um, You know like going to the blueberry patch to pick blueberries just really simple stuff that normal human beings do I had lost that and so just regaining normalcy has been kind of my decree this year so that's what I do for fun. <laughs> I, I will expand on that as time goes on. But for right now, I'm just trying to be a normal person instead of such a workaholic. I was a single mom for a long time and I was my practice grew very quickly. So it's just been nothing but like nose to the grindstone for a long time for me. Mm.
1: Do, do you have any hobbies?
0: Yeah, so I, I love lifting weights. That's like my most fun thing I do. Um, I love Pilates. I, so I love moving I love having the ability to move and, and exercise um, I am actually just I, I used to love doing pottery like spinning pottery and I just found a studio down the street near my house so I'm going to start going back to that because I think that's really fun too like just creating crafting I love crafting So I love making anything whether it's necklaces or soap or whatever so I I'd sort of lost that for a while and I'm recently getting back into that too.
1: This sounds great, you know I don't know why, but it just kind of jumps to my mind is I wonder if Tina's ever done any skydiving.
0: I have not <laughs> I wanted to before I had a child, but I have an eighteen year old daughter now, and i the minute I gave birth to her, the thought of jumping out of a plane just went right out the window mm, it's, mm. It's, i can't I have this fear of her being on the planet without me, so she's a unique little creature, and i yeah, the skydiving. I might have a heart attack if I do that. <laughs> I, think, I don't think my adrenals can handle it, to be honest. <laughs> there, I used to be such a crazy, uh, I loved that kind of adrenaline. And now it's just like anything that raises my cortisol, I'm like, no, thank you. Oh,
1: <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years?
0: I want to be traveling. I want to be Oh, I'm kissing my dog right now. That's my hobby. She's so cute. She's this little old one-eyed chihuahua that I rescued. Mm-hmm. She's, she's snorting in the microphone. Um,
1: What's her name? What's her name? Coco. Coco.
0: Little Coco. She's got no teeth in one eye. She's such a cute little nugget. <laughs> um, I I want to be traveling more. I really didn't get to do a lot of traveling when I was younger, and then I ended up as a single mom, and then I ended up in medical school, and then I ended up with a booming practice, and so... I just I want to go like that's another reason I I, the work that I'm creating for myself now is I can it can be done from anywhere and so and I really purposely have done that like I know this is the long game and I spent the last five years building that online platform and that the the coaching piece and so I want to I want to go travel with my boyfriend he's wonderful he's a world traveler he's got all the know-how to do it and he's super mellow and so I think that just I want to make that my lifestyle. Like, I want to be in Greece. I want to be in Italy. I want to, I want to go see things and meet new people and, and just kind of experience that whole piece of it as a grown-up.
1: Well, so. why ever grow up? I mean, <laughs> really. You know, now, what's your boyfriend's name?
0: His name is Michael. Michael. Yeah. He's great. He's a Tennessee boy.
1: Tennessee.
0: Yeah. Super nice. Good manners. Wonderful. Yep.
1: You were talking about your coaching how has marketing this this area of your life enriched your work and your ability to help others
0: well it's it's huge you know and i've really come to realize it's i've always looked at business as like a puzzle like okay how do i figure that's how i've been successful so how do i figure this out what are the moving pieces what's the best practices and how do i implement that and how do i stay true to who i am so others ways you can do things that are, you're told to do by other people, but I don't function, as you and I discussed earlier, we don't do well with that. So I always want to do it my way. Um, but I'm learning that marketing really is just psychology and figuring out what people need, want, and desire, and then how do you give them that in a really ethical way, like in an ethical entrepreneurial way. I, I never want to be greed-based. If I were greed-based, I would be a lot richer because I, in the past many years, I turned 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 patients away because they weren't good candidates. Whereas every other doctor that I know probably would have taken them and treated them. So, uh, and just made them, I shouldn't say that not every most would have just taken them and treated them and made the money off of them. Um, I have been so non greed based and so ethically centered that it's, it's, you know, it's cost me financially and that's okay because I know it'll pan out in the end. But I think that marketing is, it's everything. It's so easy to do. You don't have to take an ad out in the paper. You have to create a brand and you have to make yourself unique and distinct from other people around you that are doing what you're doing. And you have to figure out how to get your message out in a way that appeals to your audience. I am a girl with tattoos. I like to say the F bomb and I have a strong opinion about things and I am not the doctor for everyone and I am not the person for everyone. And that is totally okay. I think that's what marketing gives you when you kind of understand the moving pieces, you realize like you can be polarizing, you can be who you are, you can express yourself. And it becomes really kind of a fun, creative process. I think marketing is really fun. Um, I think it's a way to express myself. And when I create content, I think about it very much the way I hear artists talking about their paintings or their music or their writing. I think about the content that I'm creating about health very much the same way. It may seem a little more dry, but to me, like that's my creative outlet. And then, how can I take basic concepts of marketing and tweak it to fit my needs for what feels good for me and what feels like I'm speaking my truth? Um, and in and then, and it works. <laughs> and then I, you know, I, I have to turn people away instead of trying to figure out where to get clients and where to get patients from. I have the exact opposite problem. I'm like, how do I meet the need at this point? And that's what marketing can do for you if you embrace it. I think a lot of people are afraid of it. They think it's like a gross word, but I think it's really fun.
1: Oh, I, I absolutely love it. Are you familiar with Joe Polish?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you listen to any of his
0: podcasts? I do, here and there. Yeah, he's a fun guy. Like oh, He
1: makes it fun, right? He's, he's brilliant. I mean, I love marketing and the Genius Network, and then, of course, this 10x talks that he does with Dan Sullivan, but I love his definition. He says, sales is influence. Marketing is storytelling.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And And again, for him, it's ethical storytelling. It's not weaving some kind of fable for people. You're telling them the truth in a way that allows them to get excited and take action to improve their lives.
0: Yep, exactly. And that goes back to what you were saying, that we each have a unique gift that we we really owe the world. You know, when I was, I mean, to be quite frank, when I was 15, I tried to kill myself, and I was in a dark, dark place, and my mom kept saying you have something huge to do. I don't know what it is, but I know it's true. And I just listen to that. And maybe people will say, well, that's just nonsense that your parents tell you. But I really believe that I told her in fifth grade, I was like, I'm going to be in a book, I'm going to be in a history book, I'm going to change medicine. And that's what I have set out to do. And it's, you know, marketing is just me finding access to more people. I just, it's just my way of having more people hear my message. And my message comes from a really truthful, honest place from my heart. So it's like, To me, that's super fun. It's, you know, and it is. It's just telling your story, and then other people will either connect or disconnect from that story, and that is totally fine. That's how you build your tribe.
1: Tina, I only met you briefly, you know, when we were at that um, wonderful uh, course in San Diego. But, you know, now that you, you just said to me, well, you know, at 15, I tried to kill myself, I'm thinking, wow. That would have really been sad because, uh, I met you and you're a bright light. And that, oh. that light needs to shine in the world. And like, if had, had you succeeded at 15, then that light would have been extinguished.
0: Oh, thank you. That's true. That's, well, I feel that way in that I feel like my message is, it's, I gotta, I got it. I got to do the things I set out to do. I I'm, I'm absolutely driven by it. So. Yeah.
1: You know. And I can hear the excitement in your <laughs> voice when you talk about these things. Now, what is your favorite book besides your own? And we'll get, we'll let you talk about your own too.
0: My favorite book is Catcher in the Rye by oh. J.D. Salinger. Mm. <laughs> Holden Caulfield was my favorite character. I just he was such a I, I remember picking that book up when I was 17 and He was he was such a rebellious little guy. It it showed me that kids were rebellious and ambitious and they wanted to do things their own way, even way back then. And he got in trouble for it all the time and he just persisted. He just kept doing the things he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it even though he kept getting in trouble, even though everybody kept saying you can't do this, even though he kept getting kicked out of different schools. And he wasn't a bad kid, and he wasn't a mean kid. He didn't have a mean bone in his body, but he just kept be- getting in trouble for being him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, lo- I loved that. I loved how he persisted through that. And um, I just love Salinger. I think he's a great author. So, yeah, that was that's my favorite book Thank to this you.
1: day. Um, what about a favorite quote
0: Oh, God, you know, I think I think it was Thoreau who said it. Be the change you wish to be, or what you wish to see in the world. Like, be the change. Like, do the, you know, I think that's right. I, maybe I'm getting it wrong, but I just, you know, if you want to see it happen, then you have to model it.
1: So it's, many people attribute that quote to Gandhi, but it... it I don't oh, know. is
0: it Gandhi? I, I don't I really it. don't
1: know. I'm going to check it because... Let me see. Uh, Thoreau certainly came Oh, It was
0: Gandhi. In. Yeah, you know, Thoreau said something similar. But yeah, you're right. Sorry, I had them both up when I was a, when I was a teenager. I, I've had both those up on my little board throughout the years. But yeah, you're right. It was Gandhi. And that, I don't know, just modeling that, being. Oh, yeah. Especially as a physician. If you don't walk the talk, that's something I'm very proud of. I walk the talk. I do not tell my patients to do something I'm not doing. And if I get off course, I'm honest about it. So,
1: you know, you know I have
0: to think of it when I'm Well, Thoreau, one,
1: one of the famous Thoreau quotes is that most people lead lives of quiet desperation.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that's good too.
1: And it's unfortunately true. Do you have a favorite book that's nonfiction?
0: Oh. You don't have there's to. So, there's so many. I lived in such a nonfiction world for so long. <laughs> All I did was read health books and medical books and, and, um, you know, I'm reading right now is uh, Jen Sincero, You Are a Badass at Making Money, and I'm really digging that because she puts all these concepts that I've read in you know, just in the whole world of leveling up, she puts them in terms that I understand, she talks a lot the way that I talk, and so I'm really enjoying She has a book called You Are a Badass, that's also a great book too. I love both of them. She really had a turnaround. So, oh, you know, the Thoreau quote is live the life you have imagined. That's the one I was thinking.
1: Live the life, live the life you have imagined.
0: Yes. Yes. I love. So I was a long story, but I was, I'll say it quickly. I was just getting divorced. I was finishing up. I was in both programs concurrently. I was in the chiropractic and the naturopathic programs concurrently with a young child as a single mom. Like it was, hell. I was dying and I was 30 pounds less than I am right now. I was skin and bones and I stepped in the mud outside of the clinic, the medical clinic that I was a student in. Uh, After a shift, it was dark out. I stepped in the mud and there was this little glimmer of a silver piece in the mud. And I I live in Oregon where it rains all the time. And I picked it up and it was a bracelet and it had that quote on it. It said, live the life you have imagined. And I wore that darn bracelet forever (laughs) and I still have it. But that was a big turning point for me because it was probably a foot down in the mud, like it would have never it's been there for years. it would have never been found if I hadn't stepped in that squishy mud at that moment, you know at that dark night, and oh. I was in probably at one of the lowest points in my life, so that was a big that was a big win for me.
1: I want to thank you because uh not only for sharing that with uh, with our listeners, but I think i'm going to steal that and put it into a screenplay.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I love the it's,
1: scene it's a great moment it's just a wonderful moment. So tell us about your book. What is it called?
0: It's called Pain-Free and Strong, and it's really a, it's just a quick, simple read. Um, it's It was designed to be read by a teenager or by anybody, any age group, any education level. It's super straightforward. Uh, it's basically, you know, you can read it on a plane flight. You can read it in a sitting in a night. It's not long. And I purposely designed it that way because I wanted the message to get out there, and I'm giving it away for free for that reason it's the six pillars of good health. It's the six pillars that if these are not if these are not addressed and dealt with on the regular, and it's things we've talked about, like good nutrition, um, I'm a big believer in strength training and exercise, sleep, there's a chapter on each one, there's a chapter on hormones and how that affects you. If these things are not addressed, nothing else works. You can have all the fancy surgeries or procedures, you can have all the pills and prescriptions and natural supplements, you can do all those things, but nothing will if these six pillars are not addressed. So it's a really easy, quick read. People are really digging it, which makes me happy. Um, The message is getting out, and I'm giving it away for free on my website. You can just go get it at drtina.com. It's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and um, a free PDF will come to your email box.
1: D-R-T-Y-N-A, yes, and there's no dot after the R. And uh, it's called Pain-Free...
0: And strong. I don't know why yep.
1: Why I'm not hearing that particular word.
0: Oh, strong? Pain-free and strong. Oh, pain-free
1: like, and strong. I was yeah. I was listening for pain-free something or other. Uh, no, pain-free <laughs> and strong. <laughs> totally. that, yeah. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Yes. And, and uh, they can contact you at drtina.com. Any final thoughts for our storytellers?
0: Not, n- just... You know, I love your message which is which is just you know, writing your own story, changing your own life and I love I love that you're doing this and you're and persisting at it. I see honestly and I don't I mean this as a compliment. I see people aging into sort of a passive um sadder life you know and it, I feel I mean I don't know your backstory but I just you're very vibrant as well and I think it's a great model for everybody because we we should still be rebellious as we age and we should continue to strive and look for answers and grow and uh, that really is longevity right so really embracing longevity that's what I'm trying to do I know I'm a baby I'm only 44 <laughs> but I always encourage people at all ages to really you know like I said live the life they've imagined and It sounds like you're doing that as well. So I'm honored to be on your show.
1: Thank you so much. I received that. And thank you for giving so much great knowledge and wonderful energy today. Uh, It was very uplifting. And uh, you've contributed great value to the storytellers listening to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Again, it was an honor to be on. Thank you.